What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, catechesis, apologetics, uh, works of charity, acts of justice. The list goes on and on and on. I will then sit with your questions. I will pray with them. And I will hopefully respond in such a way that is good for you to become a saint. But my disclaimer is this. I'm not perfect. Therefore, the advice I share with you, uh, the responses I give to you might not be good for you. If that is the case, then please reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint. Uh, But if my advice is helpful, though difficult, then I want to encourage you to lean into your relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer and study. To fellowship with the poorest of the poor and worship of God so that God can give you the graces over time to fulfill the demands of discipleship and, uh, you know, abide with him on earth as it is in heaven. If you're a first time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh, spell out A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H. You can also send me your comments, critiques and new questions and your glory stories and feedbacks uh, about today's show and for future shows as well. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats that helps other people find out about the show. And you can share us on your social media pages. If you do this, other people would know about the show. If it's been a gift for you, potentially, it can become a gift for other people as well. On today's show, we're going to talk about baptism and is it necessary? Uh, Is that how we are born again? We're going to talk about music in mass. And finally, we're going to talk about uh, different Catholic rites. That's R I T E S. There's different rites, and and what role do these rites have in the church? And are the Orthodox in communion with the Catholic Church as well? But before we get into those really good questions, I want to share with you a glory story. coffee right now it's the afternoon i'm drinking coffee because i went hiking yesterday and i'm hot i'm tired from the hike but um mm, glory story so this past weekend was my last weekend as pastor of holy rosary the best parish in the diocese of baton rouge the it is you know that parish i just goodness gracious the lord has been so good to me uh by allowing me to accompany those people in their walk toward eternity. It was such a gift to celebrate mass to, uh, after each mass, we had like a little going at party and I was able just to share hearts and have some time of fellowship with my people. And I love them so much. It was just such a gift. It was such a gift to be with them. Um, I think one of the most beautiful interactions I had though, one of my parishioners came up to me, he's an older man, older gentleman. And he came up to me and he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, are you Jesus? Mm. And I said, yeah, 
I am. And so are you. Uh, that's how the Father sees us. By virtue of our baptism, we have become the body of Jesus Christ. So much so that when the Father looks at us, the Father sees his beloved Son. This is why Jesus said to Saul in the Acts of the Apostles, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church or my believers or my disciples? He said, why are you persecuting me? He identifies himself with us. He identifies himself with you and me by virtue of our baptism. Ah, so... Yeah, it was just beautiful that um, we were able to have that interaction and uh, he was able to see me the way the father sees me. And I was able to remind him of how the father sees him, of how I see him. He is the body of Jesus Christ just as much as I am. And uh, that was one of the most beautiful interactions that I had. Uh, but it was also, it was just such a gift. I just, uh, I'm so grateful for those people. I'm so excited to see what the Holy Spirit is going to do through their new leadership at the church and where he's going to invite them to go in their walk toward eternity. I just, I believe that that is an anointed land. I was also able to announce that we have three guys who have been accepted to seminary formation uh, for the fall. Uh, and so I'm super excited for for Isaac Duplantis and for Austin Dewey and for Ailey Poitras. Uh, one of my parishioners is Austin Dewey. And so as I was saying my goodbyes to the parish, I announced that another man will be leaving our community in the fall as well. And he was leaving because he was going to seminary. And so I just, I'm so grateful for the supernatural fruit that God has allowed me to see in this parish for the generosity of the people's hearts and their relationship with Jesus, their love for him and the poor and the Eucharist and the scriptures and fellowship and prayer and study and worship. And um, yeah, I just, I, uh, it's just, man, been so good. And I'm now I'm so excited too about this new mission. I'm excited about being able to travel the diocese and accompany my brother priest and cultivating vocations in their parishes and helping their their men particularly uh, to to grow in the interior life and to begin to have intimate dialogues with Jesus so they can be able to perceive if God is calling them to become priests in, uh, in, in their life as well. I'm excited about working at LSU with Father Andrew a couple of days a week. I'm excited about helping out at Crystal Ray Franciscan High School uh, as well as the chaplain over there. I'm just, there's so many exciting things that I can't wait to see how the Lord's going to invite me to abide with him in relationship. One of the cool things that Father Andrew does uh, with his staff is every Tuesday, they spend quite a few hours in prayer with each other. And I am stoked about that. Like that's, that's probably what I'm most excited about going to LSU about. It's just to pray. I love to pray and that he's a very prayerful man. He's a very prayerful priest. He's a very holy priest. And so to get to pray with him and his team of disciples for an extended period of time is going to be a gift. And I can't wait to see the fruits of what God does of how he's going to invite us through that time of prayer to go out and to accompany disciples of all nations, races, tribes, and tongues. Uh, so yeah, so many good things are happening and I'm so happy about it all. Now, before we get into the show and the questions, I want to give you some feedback. This comes in from Catherine. Catherine writes this, Hey, Father Josh, just want to let you know that your insights on this show have been such a blessing for me, especially in your podcast on March 11th about the litany of humility. Pride is something I struggle with a lot in many different forms, so I felt drawn to pray the litany of humility. However, I found that I didn't desire a lot of the things in the litany. For example, I didn't want others to be preferred to me, and I didn't want others to be loved more than me. Then I listened to your podcast, and I can't really describe it, but God just spoke to me through your words, and I was reminded that I'm made for God. And ultimately, I won't find fulfillment in anything but him. I can't begin to tell you how much joy that gave me to be reminded of that beautiful fact. So thank you, Father Josh, and I'll keep you in my prayers. Please keep me in yours as well, Catherine. You got it. I will pray evening prayer for you today. And with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into today's show.
coffee, man. Mm. I just love coffee so much. Man. Ooh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, coffee's great. All right, so first question comes in from Vanessa. Vanessa, your name reminds me of Vanessa Williams, uh, who sang the song Colors of the Wind in Pocahontas. I, so I went hiking yesterday with Father Joe Vu, who was my associate pastor. He's becoming pastor this week of Holy Rosary. And as we were hiking through the through the um the the, the hills, it was Tunica Hills, Clark Creek Waterfalls, like these little waterfalls on the on the uh, edge of Louisiana, Mississippi. M I Cricoletta I Humpback Humpback guy right to the day to that wait 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 M I Cricoletta Cricoletta I Cricoletta Cricoletta I Humpback Humpback guy right to the day I die <laughs> Mississippi. That's I just spelled Mississippi for you. Uh, so we were hiking and and in nature and the birds were chirping, the wind was blowing. <laughs> And I started singing that song. Y'all remember that song from Pocahontas? <clears throat> you think you own whatever land you land on. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. All right, so like that song is, is actually filled with heresy. But it's, it, I still, man, that song, man, I just like, I like it so much. I like the tune, but the lyrics aren't really good necessarily. But they, have you, have you mm, mm, the wolf cry to the blue cold moon? Or ask the grinning bobcat why he grins? No, I haven't asked the grinning bobcat why he grins. Because if I got close to him, he might bite me. So I don't plan on asking him that question. But anyways, Vanessa, when I see your name, I think about Vanessa Williams. She is a black Catholic who played Mother Henriette DeLille in the movie about her life. Mother Henriette DeLille is a venerable right now. She was the founder of the Holy Family Sisters in New Orleans, and she's potentially going to be the first African-American person to be canonized a saint in the Catholic Church. Uh, so we, are, we have a lot of African saints. We have South African-American saints, but we have no North African-American saints right now. So it looks like it's going to be between her and Father Augustus Tolton as to who might be the first. But yeah, so Vanessa Williams is a... Is a a faithful black Catholic. She comes to New Orleans often and does events for the Holy Family Sisters and supports them tremendously. And so when I see your name, I think about her. On to your question. It's about different Catholic rites, and that's R-I-T-E-S. Praise God for you, Father Josh. I very much look forward to your podcast and other media. I'm constantly learning from you and blossoming into a more open, loving, and meaningful relationship with God. Praise Jesus Christ. I have a two-part question. First, how are Roman Catholics and Greek Orthodox related to each other. Second, a Melkite Catholic, Greek Orthodox, friend of mine invited me to attend their mass service and also receive the sacrament of reconciliation from their priest. I desired to receive the sacrament of reconciliation before receiving the Eucharist, and my friend offered the suggestion to me with love in his heart. I'm Roman Catholic and do not yet have a church that I belong to where I live. Will the sacrament of reconciliation be valid if not heard by a Roman Catholic priest? Uh, thank you, Vanessa. That's a great question, Vanessa. So, Okay, first let me answer that question, then I'll go to like the different rites in the church and where the Orthodox fall in that conversation. So the Greek Orthodox Church, um, they do have a valid line of apostolic succession, and therefore they have valid sacraments, right? So they can trace their roots back to the apostles. Catholics, however, should only go to confession within the 23 rites of the Catholic Church. And so if a Catholic is in danger of death or does not have access to a Catholic priest in the 23 rites of the Catholic Church that are available, then that Catholic could go to a Greek Orthodox priest for confession. But outside of that circumstance of it being near-death experience, um, near-death is on, you know, whatever, or like there's no no 
Catholic priests and the 23 rites that are available, th then you really should not be going to confession to a Greek Orthodox priest because they're not in full communion with the Catholic Church. Orthodox Christians and Protestant Christians um, are not in full communion with the 23 rites, R-I-T-E-S, of the Catholic Church. But I need to emphasize again, Orthodox Christians do have apostolic succession, which means they could trace their lineage back to the apostles, just like we do in the Catholic Church. This is something that Protestant Christians cannot do, since they were not founded by Jesus Christ, um, since they were not there at Pentecost uh, when the apostles received Holy Spirit. Uh, they were founded by men and women throughout history, right? So different men and women uh, claim to have had experiences of prayer where they say the Holy Spirit told them to found a church, and they did. But they aren't founded by the person, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, and the apostles didn't go out and establish those those communities. So within the Catholic Church, uh, there's 23. Michael Jordan, think of Michael Jordan's basketball number on the Chicago Bulls. 23 rites uh, that are in full communion uh, with each other. And we all recognize the primacy of the Pope. Uh, and every single one of these 23 rites, we have our origin in the upper room. The upper room. On the day of Pentecost, when Holy Spirit came down upon the Blessed Virgin Mary and the apostles, and then they went out and they made disciples of all races, nations, tribes, and tongues. Check it out, Acts chapter 2. And when they did this, they baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they made disciples. And so as the apostles went to all nations to share the joy of the gospel, to share Jesus Christ, to share his church, uh, depending on the land they went to, the geographical boundaries of the communities they went to in Africa or in Asia or in Europe, uh, wherever they went, it looked a little bit different liturgically in the way it was expressed because of the, the land, the culture, the language. And so in the Catholic Church, we have like the Latin rite. The Roman Rite, that's what most of us are part of. Most of us, um, we have three three uh, liturgies. We have the Tridentine in the extraordinary form, Latin Mass. We have the Novus Ordo, which could be done in Latin or in English. Uh, and we have the Anglican use uh, liturgy as well. But then we also have the Byzantine Rite, which has 14 churches under it. There's the Alexandrine Rite, which is super cool because it traces its lineage all the way back to St. Mark uh, and St. Matthew. So there are three churches under the Alexandrine Rite, uh, which include the Coptic Church. And the Coptic Church was founded by St. Mark and the Ethiopian Church, which was founded, founded by St. Matthew, the tax collector. There's the, um, I can't say I write the I'm so bad with pronunciations, uh, the, the Antiochene Rite, uh, which comes from West Syria. And this rite has three churches under it, uh, the Maronites, the Syriac Catholics, and the uh, Syro Melancaro, Melancaro Catholic. If you are Syro, Syro Melancaro, my bad for like butchering your name, my bad. Mia Koopa, Mia Koopa, Mia Koopa, Mia Maxima Koopa, the Antiochian Catholics trace their lineage back to St. Peter. Uh, the first pope before he went to Rome. Uh, and then we have the Armenian Rite, which has one church, and the Chaldean Rite. Uh, the Chaldean Rite uh, has a couple of churches, and they were founded by St. Thomas the Apostle. So like, all these different rites in the Catholic Church, uh, they look a little bit different, right? So uh, a lot of times, like Latin Rite Catholics get really close-minded, and we think, oh, I think should only be this particular way. Like uh, Some people are like, hardcore about the Novus Ordo. Some people are hardcore about Tridentine. But we also have like 22 other rites that we need to reverence in the Catholic Church that look a lot different than the Extraordinary Form Mass and the Novus Ordo Mass and the Anglican Use Liturgy as well. So the church is way bigger than most of us know, um, way, way bigger. Uh, but anyways, so there's 23 rites that are in full communion with the Catholic Church. We all recognize the Pope and we submit to him. In 1054 though, the year 1054, the church experienced a great schism that completely broke the heart of Jesus. Remember, Jesus Christ desires unity in the body. In John 17, he prayed for unity in the body of Christ. And so during this time, the Orthodox Christians officially stopped recognizing the Pope's authority over them. Now, 
This is like super simplified. There's way more to the story. This did not happen overnight. The Great Schism is like a result of a gradual process going all the way back to the early church. There was already drama that was brewing because even though both the East and the West recognized the, the Holy Father, the Pope, the papacy, the West always went to the Pope when they had issues. They always went directly to the Pope. The East only went to the Pope whenever their patriarchs could not agree on something. So he was like a last resort for them. And so this on top of linguistic issues and cultural differences and uh, some other really important matters that kind of were brewing for a very long time led to this schism in 1054. And that's uh, and then, and then the, the Orthodox were like, nope, we don't recognize the Pope's authority over us anymore at that point. So essentially, that's why they're not in full communion with us. And it's also why we don't receive sacraments from them and they don't receive sacraments from us. The only time we would receive sacraments from them is if it's a life or death circumstance and or if there was no way possible we could be in relationship with Jesus in the sacraments through a minister in one of the 23 rites that the Catholic Church makes available to us today. So that was a lot. Hopefully that was somewhat helpful. Let me know. All right. Speaking of Mass, another important question comes in from Jose from the island of uh, Saipan, Northern Mariana Islands. I don't know where that's at, but the island sounds super cool. And so, um, yeah, I don't travel much for missions anymore because I'm trying to focus most of my attention on cultivating vocations to the priesthood in my diocese and my land for this year. But that island sounds kind of cool. And so if, it, if it's super cool, let me know and maybe I'll come do a mission out there for y'all. So Jose, Jose uh, is asking about music and mass. Father Josh, thanks for all you do. May God give you strength to continue this ministry. Father Josh, I have a question about choir ministry and its importance in the role of church. The music inside the church and during mass, why is it important? Well, it's important because mass is heaven on earth. Like mass is literally an experience of heaven on earth. Um, and so in heaven, whenever uh, John saw visions of heaven, whenever even the Old Testament prophets saw the angels in heaven, the angels in heaven were singing, Sanctu, Sanctu, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth. Right, holy, holy, holy. They were singing like music is heavenly. That's what heavenly worship incorporates music. It's an essential aspect of worship of God in heaven. And so because mass is a prayer in which we join ourselves to heaven, heaven and earth come together to worship God, and we are joining in the prayer of the angels and of the saints and of the holy souls, we do what they do. We imitate them. We allow them to kind of lead us in our in our worship of God. And so that's why we sing. That's why we should have good music. That's why we should prepare music. That's why our music should not be something that we're just doing last minute or whatever. Like So it's very serious because um, it's a way that uh, we enter into right worship of God. So... Yeah, music is a, an essential role in, in mass and in worship uh, and very helpful even in prayer. Uh, the, the psalms in the Bible are meant to be sung. Uh, they're meant to be chanted. When we do the Liturgy of the Hours, if you do it in community, it's really wise to, to, to chant them and not just say them. It helps you to enter into the, the liturgy uh, more, more worthily and well, I guess you could say. So music is super important, and there is music that is objectively good. And there's music that is objectively not good when it comes to worship of God, when it comes to uh, the holy sacrifice of the mass. So hopefully that was helpful. Basically, we look to heaven. We look to heaven as our guide. There's a lot we look to heaven for with regards to the liturgy. Also, whenever John saw his vision of heaven in, the, in, the, in Re uh, Revelation 7-9, he saw people of every race, nation, tribe, and tongue. And so it's important, like, all right, in heaven they sing. And so do we sing at my church? In heaven, there was people from every race. And the the word 
uh, and, and nation and tribe and tongue. So like tongue is languages, nation is the Greek ethnos, which means ethnicities. So do, does my church on earth look like the church in heaven? Do I hear people in different tongues? Do I see people of different ethnicities? Are there people from different lands who are gathered here together or not? And if, if not, then I need to go out and I need to find people in my community who speak different tongues and have come from different ethnicities and invite them to heavenly worship with the angels and saints who are there before the throne of God, before the Lamb of God, worshiping him, singing the holy, holy, holy. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to keep the conversation on sacraments and we're going to talk about the sacrament of baptism. Did you know that every single item in a Catholic church points us towards heaven? Make every visit to a Catholic church a powerful reminder of God's presence with a new book from Ascension, The Sacred That Surrounds Us by Andrea Zachman. The Sacred That Surrounds Us awakens Catholics to the mystery of the seemingly ordinary items we see every week at Mass. It explains with clarity the symbolic realities and historical facts of each one. To order The Sacred That Surrounds Us, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, last question comes in from Brenda. Brenda, oh, that's the name of one of my parishioners at Holy Rosary, who I love very much, Brenda. It's also the name of one of Tupac's songs, uh, Brenda Had a Baby. Y'all remember Tupac? I don't know if Tupac's, like, man, Tupac, he had, you know, some bad songs, but he had some objectively good songs, too. And, uh, yeah, Brenda's Got a Baby. Yeah. Mm. I'm looking up the lyrics right now, Tupac's Brenda, Brenda's Got a Baby song. Mm. You know what? Actually, speaking of real quick of Tupac, he does have some lyrics that I think are appropriate. Let me see. Tupac, uh, one of his best songs is, uh, uh, let me see. Hold up. Okay. This one right here. <laughs> <laughs> Tupac here, a song called Keep Your Head Up. Oh man, this one was so hard. Yeah, yeah. So say the black of the berry, ha, the sweet of the juice. So say the black of the flesh and the deeper the roots. I give a holler to my sister on welfare. Tupac cares, and don't nobody else care. And uh, beat you down a lot. Brothers like the clown a lot. Ha. Forget, keep your head up high. Leave him. <laughs> you should leave him. Hey, because sister, you don't need him. <laughs> man, I just, man, I'm sorry. You know me. I love my music. Uh, so good. All right, so back to baptism. All right, so, hey, Father Josh, hope this meets you well. My question is as follows. How will you explain to someone, Catholic or not, that the importance and necessity of the sacrament of baptism well, first, before I even get to the rest of the question, uh, I would say go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. St. Peter, the first pope, wrote that uh, baptism saves. He says, baptism saves us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. I had a conversation with some of my Protestant sisters who were saying that to be born again, John 3, 3, is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and it's not a result of baptism, John 3, 5. And since we all receive the Holy Spirit when we get baptized, one question asked was whether those people who do not get baptized cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's possible to the discretion of God, he can part his grace whenever he sees fit and as he so pleases. But I don't think that this means that the sacrament should be neglected or belittled since it was instituted by Christ himself and we enter into the kingdom of God and are adopted by him when we receive it. You got it. Ooh, you good, Brenda. Uh, how would you explain that we are born again when we get baptized to our Protestant and Catholic brothers and sisters? Hence, 
why the church baptizes infants because of its necessity. Brenda, you know, Brenda, I, I think you got some really strong theology going for you already. So I think it's good to go back in the day when things were good. Hey, hey. Back, 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 back it up all the way to the early church. It's good to back things up to the early church fathers, early church Christians. Again, as I said earlier, when we're talking about Orthodox and Protestants, right? Orthodox Christians and Protestant Christians are our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, but they are separated brothers and sisters in the body of Christ because they're not in full communion with the one church that Jesus Christ founded with the, the, you know, the papacy. Um, and so it's just important, especially for our Protestant brothers and sisters, because See, Orthodox Christians can trace their lineage back to the apostles. Protestants can't. Protestants trace their lineage back to the 1500s and up to like last week, whenever a new Protestant Christian community was founded by probably a really good person who was really devout and had a had an experience uh, in prayer or at a retreat or at a conference or with scripture that led them to found and plant their new um, community. So, but the thing is, is that they don't have their early church fathers, right? And so the early church fathers are there for us. And they, they can read them too. Like they can go get a book and read them and see like, okay, wait a minute. Like, well, what are the earliest Christians do? The earliest Christians were there. They were closest to the apostles and their successors. And so instead of saying like reading a scripture um, out of context, I should like read a scripture and then maybe I should go to the early church Christians and say, well, how do they understand the scripture passage? Because guess what? The earliest Christians, they spoke about John 3. Uh, three and John three five, uh, and and they make it very 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 clear um, that uh, to be born again is to be baptized. To be baptized is to be born again uh, by by water and the Spirit. So let's look at some of those early church Christians. Justin Martyr. This was in the year one hundred and fifty one. That's one fifty one. In his first apology, he says this: As many as are persuaded and believe that what we Christians teach and say is true and undertake to be able to live accordingly and instructed to pray and entreat God with fasting for the remission of their sins that are past, we pray and fast with them. Then they are brought by us where there is water and are regenerated in the same manner in which we were ourselves regenerated. For in the name of God, the Father, and then he goes down, and our Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28, 19. Then they received the washing with water. For Christ said, unless you are born again, you should not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he connects being born again with the sacrament of baptism. St. Irenaeus says the same thing in the year 190. He says this. He says, uh, and Naaman dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. It was not for nothing that Naaman of old, when suffering from leprosy, was purified upon him, being baptized. And this served as an indication to us for as we are lepers in sin, we are made clean by means of the sacred water and the invocation of the Lord from our old transgressions, being spiritually regenerated as newborn babes, even as the Lord has declared, except a man be born again through water and the spirit, he should not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, he connects that passage with baptism. Tertullian does the same thing. No one can attain salvation without baptism, especially in view of the declaration of the Lord, who says, unless a man be born of water, he shall not have life. Cyprian of Carthage in the year 253 says the same thing. When they receive baptism in the church, they can finally be fully sanctified and be sons of God. Since it is written, except a man be born again of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And finally, Basil the Great in the year uh, 375, he says, this then uh, is what it means to be born again of water and spirit. Just as our dying is affected in the water, our living is wrought through the spirit. 
in three immersions and an equal number of invocations, the great mystery of baptism is completed in such a way that the type of death may be shown figuratively, and that by the handing on of divine knowledge, the souls of the baptized may be illuminated. If, therefore, there is any grace in the water, it is not from the nature of water, but from the Spirit's presence there. And that was in 375. So the earliest Christians all looked at that specific passage from sacred scripture, and they connected it with the sacrament of baptism as the way in which one is born again. So... I would just encourage you when you have conversations with your Catholic brothers and sisters and also your Protestant brothers and sisters to say, you know what, y'all, like, let's dive into the scripture passage and let's invite our brothers and sisters who were there in the first 300, 400 years of the church. Let's invite their wisdom to be a part of our conversation. And that can help us to better understand uh, the particular passage that we are studying because they talked about it. And they wrote about it, and it's there for all of us to see. One of uh, there's a big evangelical pastor right now who's going through a big, big, big conversion. He's huge, and uh, in the evangelical world, and he's going through this huge conversion experience right now because for the first time in his life, he's been introduced to the early church fathers, and he's reading what they wrote about the Eucharist, and that is completely rocking his world. So pray for him, and pray for all of our brothers and sisters um, too. To come, to come to the one holy Catholic apostolic church, right? Jesus Christ did not found a bunch of churches and communities. Like the division does not make him happy because uh, it separates us. He wants us to be one. So pray for unity in the body. Pray for the Orthodox uh, and for for the rest of us uh, and the 23 rights of the Catholic church to come back together so that we can all be one, be one, be one, be one. That's what he desires. That's what he really desires. And so uh, let's pray for that and let's fast for that. Let's be humble. And yeah, mm. That's that's that. Make us one. We'll, we'll close with this song. I'll sing to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Make us one. Father, Spirit, Son. Yes. We love you. We want to be just like you, Jesus. The glory is enough. So bind us with your love, Jesus. We love you. We want to be just like you. Yes, we love you. We want to be just like you. Make us one. Father, Spirit, Son. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. And uh, yeah, pray for me because in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be on a silent retreat. And so I think by the time you hear this, I'm not going to be on a silent retreat the week after we have a few more shows we're pre-recording, I will be in silence. So pray for me that, yeah, for whatever God's plan is for me, that I may, uh, yeah, receive it, perceive it and believe it. Amen. God bless. <laughs>